Welcome to Be Customer-Led, where we'll explore how leading experts in customer and employee experience are navigating organizations through their own journey to be customer-led and the actions and behaviors employees and businesses exhibit to get there. And now, your host, Bill Stagos. So, Ram, thanks so much for coming on the show. So today we're talking about how Blend is impacting the customer experience. But before we get into that, can you tell our listeners just your journey, differentiators in your career? What's your story, man? Yeah, so it's kind of an an interesting one. I started my life actually recording music and doing Indian classical vocal. And what I learned through that was that I just love being in front of people and a little bit maybe putting on a show. And I decided, hey, maybe maybe I should give sales a shot. And so I come from the field. I I spent a lot of time in the field. Last 10 years, I really, really pivoted from being an individual contributor to actually managing teams and revenue teams. I think a key inflection point for me in my career was actually this starting as part of a founding team for Social Tables where we didn't really understand the customer or know what we were going after. We just had no revenue and just focusing simply on what the customer would want was probably Mm -hmm. a a mind shift for me that I took with me to Blend as I joined in 2018 when they were trying to ramp up their customer acquisition. And I think that stuck with me for a long time, just having a little bit of that founding DNA where it's not so much about the outcome, it's about Mm -hmm. the inputs that go along the way. And and as Blend scaled and during my time at Google and and even when Thomas Curian talks about this all the time, which is focus on the customer and the problem you're solving. And, and back at Blend now, the journey has been 100% focused around what value are we actually bringing to the customer in any conversation, and are we prepared enough to do so? Very cool. I love that. That's such an important question to ask. Not a lot of businesses ask it, though. I want to double-click on that in a second, but when you let's talk about Blend for a second and the space that they're in, particularly for international listeners. Obviously, the mortgage space is super different country to country, but even those for in the U.S., and and so tell us a little bit about Blend Does and the technology that you're doing and helping shape the mortgage space, the lending space. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I think regardless of where you are in the world, you're probably borrowing money or transacting yeah. with some kind of financial instrument. So you probably understand from that perspective. In some, For us, we, we are really a part of the end-to-end journey for any banking product. So we power that. We started in mortgage. We're actually yep. expanding much further into consumer finance. So People around the world might know, understand, like home equity might be different in other countries, but take out an auto loan or a personal loan or any type of loan. We do not only the front end application experience, but also the back end, which is really the secret sauce and the hard part, if you will, the pipes, which is rather than running around with a bunch of paper documents, we leverage structured source data. And what that means for borrowers and lenders is that they get a better experience, they get a faster turnaround times and more transparency and more certainty. And that's pretty important as when you're going in for a loan, you probably need the money. (laughs) And if you need the money, it's good to know you're going to get it or not. And I think that's uh, how consumers today want to see transactions happen. And they're asking for it faster than they've ever asked for it before. Yeah, I'm sure. Well, look, I think the pandemic has certainly really accelerated that mentality, right? And that digital first, not necessarily digital only, but digital first perspective. What, you talked a little bit about some of the questions that 
you all are asking yourselves internally. But from a broader fintech perspective, what does it mean to be customer first? Like what, like, what does it feel like from a cultural perspective, maybe even? Because you guys really are there. And I know that because I know the company super well. But what do you think that means? Yeah, I mean, it's really complicated in, in lending when, when we're actually focused on our lenders. But we can't do it myopically. We have to think through it from the perspective of how does that then translate to a better borrower experience? So I think there's a lot of thoughts around this topic, and I don't think we've totally figured it out. We're going through this journey. But from a cultural point of view, putting it this, the customer at the center of any decision, that decision starts as early as thinking through what product would even make sense to build and how does that product get built in a way that delivers value at the outset. And then having that DNA think through, we firmly believe in first principles, which is thinking through what are the inputs that actually deliver value and think through the depth of the product and build from that depth perspective. Because if we think about what the user is experiencing in our world, it's the loan team. But how that loan team is interacting with the borrower, it's also something we have to think through. So you see that not only in our design, but our experiences. And I think it's, it's really thinking through the idea that in today's world, it's also rethinking what is a definition of a customer and mm -hmm. a borrower. And so in the past, customer first might have meant, yeah, you, you go see your friend, your friend refers you another friend, and, and you, you're interacting with that person and you're, and you're creating a great relationship. Today, borrowers are much more diverse than they were 10, 15, 20 years ago. A good example is we always thought of W2 was the only way to find a, a qualified borrower. Today, that could be a gig employee, yep. right? So I think rethinking the definition of borrower is also an important part and having that be something that is continuously rethought annually in, in a lot of ways. And then even further, as, as there's a greater population of immigrants in this country, and not all of them have 10 years of credit history yeah. to make a financial transaction. So as we become more of a globalized economy, it's also rethinking, like, what are those, those rules that we put into place that say, like, this is what a qualified borrower means, and expanding that pool to reach more people in a way that allows them to grow into being a qualified borrower or qualifies them in a way that they were otherwise not qualified before. Yeah, uh, I know in the U.S. at least, sort of the FICO score was sort of the barometer by which what rate you might receive on a, on a different loan. I know a lot of that is starting to change and evolve as well, which is critically important. As a renter myself, we were homeowners in the past, but as a renter myself, I'd love it if my bank looked at the fact that we paid our rent every month and it was at a certain amount before. So eventually we'll buy again, but nonetheless, like that should all be taken into account. Five, 10 years ago, they never would have looked at that history as an example. Totally. And I think it's also the, just the everyday transactions. If you're making your credit card payment monthly, car loan payment monthly, those add up to pretty big numbers that could probably help you understand if they're qualified for a mortgage or not. Yeah. So, so Ram, how, you mentioned sort of your, you guys are all taking, or customer first organizations are taking a first principles approach and asking those questions. How does that then manifest into a platform like Blend, right? Because at the end of the day, right? you're not just serving the lenders out there, you're serving the broader sort of borrowing community and, and consumer base, right? Yeah, I think for the ecosystem of everybody, right? I think if, if, we're, if, we're, trying to, if we're trying to power these decisions for lenders, we have to think through kind of three major points, which is partners, the consumer, and the lender. In fintech, we don't do it all ourselves. There's, we partner with tons of companies that build great products. And how it plugs in really 
for if we think about like what does it mean to be proactive to be customer led in the in the future it's being able to anticipate your borrowers needs and then serving them the right products and prices of those products in a proactive manner that allows them to plan and and think about you as a lender as a strategic kind of guidance rather than just a loan officer or a or or a bank i think the institution now has to move into being more of their i don't know their their financial planning mm. arm and i think there's a confluence that's happening right now in general in fintech of what is the accountant what is the financial planner what is the loan officer all these three are all playing a role but today's borrower is looking for someone they can trust mm-hmm. and and someone who can anticipate their needs i think that's how it manifests that's how blends thinking about it is we've used the term proactive finance as yeah. as nima said we, we didn't come up with that term ourselves but it's it's done by putting lenders in a better position to understand their customer and then allowing them to use that understanding to then guide them on their financial journey so from a pure transactional point of view i think one way blend demonstrates it is from a, like a pricing perspective is we only get paid when our lenders use our product and i think as you've seen from probably a number of other companies that you all work with and you you work with in the past that that success based model puts everybody on the same playing field and and that's been a huge win for us and we were pretty early on it we were doing that in 2015 2016 2017 and i think that's really led to a, a more let's just say meaningful experience for us our lenders and our and borrowers as an enabler of the experience particularly in the lending space ram which is just really going uh, undergoing a tremendous amount of change right now you've got a lot of different sort of point solution players coming in at different parts of the process mortgage industry in particular is a really great example of that you've got businesses that are just focused on closing you've got businesses that are focused on the point of sale you've got organizations that are focusing sort of in the middle of that process right it really is running the gamut you know how do you think about the changes and maybe we just focus on on mortgage as a, as an example just first here how do you think about the changes and the dynamic that's happening in that space and lenders really trying to get the cost to serve or cost per loan down significantly help our listeners maybe understand like the dynamics of of that space a little bit and then i want to get into maybe how you guys are trying to solve that yeah so i think that there's a lot of options for lenders today and yeah. as technology is definitely growing in as in terms of like the spend at any financial institution if you look 5 years ago versus 10 years ago to like even 2 years ago covid accelerated it but it was already going up anyway yeah and i think that the reality is that we need to move to a world in my opinion humble opinion that where people collaborate more with the customer in mind yeah and think about how their platform connects to the next platform that a that institution is 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 purchasing and how the, together they can deliver a better experience than on their own. Yeah. And I think it, that kind of mindset for tech vendors is going to be the difference maker mm-hmm. whether or not they they end up being budgeted for 5 10 years from now. And I think with that you'll probably see those that figure it out and those that don't. Mm-hmm. And those that don't will probably be left out of the end to end journey and those that do will probably be a part of that end to end journey for a long for the long term. But that's kind of what is necessary to move the needle or we never get to proactive finance right we never get to borrower experiences that lead to more referrals and repeat business and we never get to the real exciting piece which is a each interaction point is a set of data data points and if we can help lenders understand how to leverage those data points to then create those proactive anticipatory experiences for 
for borrowers. Mm-hmm. That, that goes a long way. For sure. And then when you think about sort of then that piece specifically, so what lenders are doing that manifests then into an experience for borrowers or their end consumers transacting, understanding, like and making the connection between the experience and the brand, where do you see some of the biggest opportunities then? At least whether that's from Blend's perspective or just your perspective, even as you're someone who's steeped in the industry, right? So like your, your perspective broadly even would be really interesting. Yeah. So at, at, a, at an industry level, there's, this is, I think people have thought COVID was a major change event. Well, from a, from a mortgage and industry level, rates rising is actually the major, is a major industry event as well. And I think what you'll start seeing is an opportunity for people to rethink their distribution, their operations, and their entire engagement model. And I think that, as we both know from being a part of successful tech companies, that starts from within, right? Like what you do internally shows up externally. And I think that's what's happening right now is there's a mindset at the lender level, which is triggered by industry dynamics. So like what, how can we use technology to better power our intern, our people's decisions and, and maximize their time? And what that looks like, I think, in a lot of ways is to help lenders go back to being this trusted guidance for borrowers mm-hmm. and focusing more on education. A good example, Bill, just to be, bring it to real life is uh, I think there's the most home equity in people's homes in the history of the humankind, at least in the United States. It's off the charts. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, yeah. And I think it actually extends to Canada as well. And I think it might extend to other con- countries like Australia and UK. I'm not exactly sure. But there's a lot of equity built up just by sheer nature that we've had baby boomers buy homes 30 years ago that are fully paid off. And the home prices have skyrocketed over those 30 years. So, but the lack of education on what a home equity line of credit is or a home key loan is, mm-hmm. is what scares people from making the decision. Like, why would I, you know, I worked so hard to pay this, to gain this equity. Why would I give any of it up? Yeah. But there's, you know, in some cases for some borrowers, it's actually better to do that than do another loan product. And they can use that to help fix their home up or, yeah. Or uh, or do other things that they've been waiting to do for dozens of years, and I think that is really the the critical point we're in right now is where these where lenders who are oftentimes and I understand are driven by incentive models in a, in a as well in margins can be empowered to think through this opportunity, which is mm-hmm. which is education borrower education, and as you and I both know. We, I intend to gravitate to someone over and over again when they teach me something. Sure. And, and when I'm learning, and I don't know everything about a personal, even though I'm in the business, I don't, at the top of my head, I can't tell you all the difference between a personal loan, a home equity line of credit, and then doing another type of loan, an unsecured <laughs> debt. And I think the re- reality is that I could use some help. And I think that is the truth for every American. We can get into a philosophical argument about when we, whether or not we should do this in high school or not, but we're not, we're not teaching finance in high school. So I think, who's, I think they could, every, every American could probably use some education. I think now is the time. So I, look, I totally agree with that. I think financial services is really ripe. You're seeing that a lot more and more, particularly as large banks and lenders talk about sort of customer financial health, right? Mm-hmm. And trying to create tools around getting their their end customer to a place where they not only can kind of take better shape, a better hold of their finances, but really start to have not only lending work in their favor to drive and create wealth, right? Because like, who would have thought like, hey, I'm going to borrow money? Well, not everyday consumers, right? Think about, I'm going to borrow money to create wealth down the line. Mm-hmm. 
not necessarily a conversation a lot of people have. But to your point, if you think about sort of that home equity loan, you can leverage that equity in your house to drive new wealth in different ways. Even as simple things like, I'm going to go pay for an education, right? That could have bigger long-term benefit down the road, right? I totally agree. And that time invested, not only by the consumer, but also the lender, does create sort of that long-term trust and bond, which is so critical. We forget a lot, I guess, or we maybe we focus too much on, is the digital experience great? Or is the in-branch experience great? But at the end of the day, are you helping these individuals create value in their life outside of the broader financial services realm? Or do you understand that ecosystem where financial services can drive that growth for them too? Absolutely. I think the, it's a, I think the reality is every experience has to be great, right? Whether it be in-branch, online, depositing a check on your phone, or even the ATM experience. Like, I think that's what consumers expect today. And they've been conditioned to expect more, which is great. And what it does is puts the pressure on technology companies to deliver those experiences and pressure on lenders to choose the best technology partner to make those experiences happen. And I think a few things, I think we can make it easier on our tech partners to really understand what that looks like. And I think, as I've said to, to many people in the past, it's not a one-way street, right? I think a lot of times tech companies have put in this position, you buy me and I, I implement you and you do it. It's not that way, especially at this level when we're impacting this set of, you know, we have this type of impact. It's really a two-way street between us and our lender partners. Yeah. And thinking through change management inside an institution is the only way to get there because that individual has been conditioned to do something for the last five years that is totally different now. And that, that rapid growth of technology purchasing also leads to technology implementation rapidly growing. And that means people are being overwhelmed by a number of things that are thrown on their plate. They have to also do their job, not just learn the tech. And so how can we help them be in a better position to not only learn the technology, but use it in a way that's actually, it doesn't feel like it's a separate activity. It's just part of their normal work yeah. business process. How do you, so look, change management is such a critical part of customer experience broadly as a category. I, there are a lot, I, the one thing that I really try and counsel clients that I talk to or just leaders that are out there in the in this space and either they're starting off in CX or they're leading a large or small team is really think about, can you find one person, whether in your organization or have them on your team to, to, to be that sort of that change agent and, and apply actually like a rigorous change management approach to the work? Is that something that you all are focusing on? And how do you... It, does it manifest in the technology from a simplicity and ease of use? Is that how you're kind of driving change at the user level? Or are there different ways maybe to explore that? Yeah, and if we think if we build with value in mind, right, value has to include the change management thought process, right? Mm-hmm. So it's in our like lender loan team execution. Yeah. And so we have to build with that in mind and we have to deploy with that in mind. And we have to sell with that in mind. And we have to then enable our customers through education. And thinking about our customer community, we, we think through that a lot, which we just recently launched. And I think the reality is that change management is now, is, is a huge, for the last year or two, has been something we've focused a lot, a lot on. And it's in lockstep with the idea that we have more to offer to our lenders. So as we offer more, and as any institution offers more, we have to think through how that all leads to to better usage of those tools so it just doesn't sit on the shelf. And and I think that's the way I would think. we've been thinking about it is not it's not a thing you do after you as part of go to market. 
yeah. the thing you do at the thing at the, as a way you build and design products before and then you execute that and go to market. Awesome. Can we talk about the future for a minute? I love talking about the future and talking about it. I'm sure you do. I'm sure you think about the future a lot as well in your role. Where do you kind of given like all the change going on in the lending space, like where do you see it from a maybe like a tech? If we just kind of maybe think about it from three levels, tech, lender slash players, and then end consumer. Like how do you think this is going to all look and feel in, I don't know, three to five years maybe if you can get us out that far? Yeah, I mean, you know, I don't know if three to five years is enough time or not, but let's just, let's just in an, in I think the ideal state for, for us, like for us as consumers, is the yeah. same as it is for lenders, which is that we are able to purchase any product and have our, and be qualified, pre-qualified without having to go through the motions we go through today. Yeah. And what that means, a lot of people can, you can, you can say that's like an Uber experience for lending, or you can create all different types of terms for it. But, but the reality is it's a little bit more complex than ordering a car to your uh, doorstep. But I think a few things come to mind. One, we should have a greater pool of borrowers, like I talked about earlier, that are qualified. So the, mm -hmm. the pool should grow. That should be a big part of the next three to five years. Mm -hmm. Secondarily, that pool should be engaged in a way that isn't a, a, a push relationship. It should be a push-pull. Mm -hmm. and I think that's happened in digital marketing over the course of the last five, 10 years. That needs to be brought to consumer finance. Is like that, the idea that like, it, it's a two-way dialogue between me, just like actually healthcare has gotten there recently with me talking to my doctor. I can book everything on the, undo everything on an app. Yeah. And I think that opportunity is there for lenders and is growing in the next three to five years. I think beyond that, it's, it's anticipating. I think all those things, what it does is we can better anticipate borrowers' needs we can reach them before they need. A good example is, let's just say for me, 13, 14 years from now, when my four and a half month old because gets, gets get ready to go to college, I'm going to start thinking about college loans. Someone should help me think about the preparation for that, what my levers are to get there much earlier than 16 or 17 years ago, or even 14 years from now. They should be preparing me for that in the next few years. Yeah. And I think that is the future of lending and is where I am now embedded into their world and they're embedded into my world and we understand each other fully and and we're, we're both working in lockstep to achieve each other's goals which is for them have a lifetime customer and for me be a lifetime have a lifetime bar, a borrowing experience that i enjoy yeah and that, and that conversation ram that doesn't necessarily have to happen person to person that can happen with data right whatever your behavioral right. operational data is how are lenders using whatever information I'm giving them to get smarter about being proactive and to, to go drive that conversation, whether that's machine to human or human to human for that matter. Do you think then, as you think about the relationships between the consumer and the lender, do you think we're going to start to see more of, I'm going to start using fewer lenders or start thinking about using fewer lenders, but I will give out more of my information so that proactive finance can happen in more of a real-time basis? or do you think it's going to be, and I think about this a lot, I'm a real dork about it, to be honest, but like, could I tokenize my information and say I can turn it on and off and on based on what's happening in my life to be able to go out to lenders to, for me to get sort of the best rate or for me to get sort of the best deal and the relationship doesn't even matter, right? It doesn't matter, yeah. anymore, but I can give out my information to make sure that I'm just getting the best deal no matter what. Yeah, so... At the end of the day, I think, I think it's still everything. 
both those options are TBD. <laughs> and I think it's all TBD based on, and I know that's not, it's, it's not exactly the perfect answer, but it's, the idea is that it's, it's based on trust. And we, we don't know which one of these has earned trust yet. Like we can yeah. take the Web3 argument. I'm not sure we, we really understood it or, or we're ready to say we, we trust it fully. Yeah. The same thing is for borrowers to say, I don't know if I fully understand or trust a single institution to do all these things for me. Yeah. And I think what, where we're at right now is that inflection point or where borrowers will make the decision, not lenders yeah. and not any decentralized finance arm. I think it's really all in borrowers are, are waiting to see what gets brought to them and they'll make decisions. A good example, a good example that I, I've seen is you've seen Chase, for example, uh, in, in a lot of ways. They've gone above and beyond to embed you with their Sapphire reserved yeah. benefits along with a, a better, better banking relationship. And overall, I feel like it's just, and when I'm a Warriors fan, so I go to the Chase Center, and it just feels like I'm constantly surrounded by them. And, but to your point, if they don't give me the best rate, I don't necessarily need to use them, yeah. right? So I think it's still a TBD kind of moment in time, and, and I think the two have to really converge. And I think I go back to the fact of, like, if we go back to how th thinking through the equal opportunity for lenders and borrowers here, it's the notion that we can do both. We can create pricing power for lenders by helping them use technology to actually improve their margins. And then where everybody might have the same rates at some point or be close enough. Mm -hmm. And if they're close enough, you'll choose service. We're coming into a world where service and technology will both be equally important. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is that, sure, rates need to be competitive, but if they're within a certain margin, like a small margin, a customer, a borrower will still choose a, a, the better service because they sure. trust that more. And over the lifetime, 0.125% doesn't really mean that much when you can trust somebody. That's why you pay so much for your iPhone or your MacBook Pro or whatever it is, right? At the end of the day. And, and, and Rocket, by the way, traditionally has always been higher rates. Yeah. And that's because of their service model. They've been able to do that. Yeah. Chase the same way. And yeah. as, as a former Chase employee and as a former Chase customer, still I'm a Chase customer, I can say that their rates are not necessarily the best out there. But it's a great bank and their bankers really take care of you through the process. And you do have to pay for that on some level. Hey, Ram, I've got two more questions for you. Who do you one is, who do you look up to in industry? Like who are like the big sort of, whether they're tech leaders or industry leaders, like who are the folks that whenever you see them in a press or maybe an article, like who do you like, hey, I got to go read that? Yeah, I mean, I've been, I think I've watched two leaders that in a, in, from afar, one I've actually had a chance of working with a couple of times, which is Satya Nadella from Microsoft and Thomas Kurian from Google Cloud, yeah. both of whom are phenomenal leaders. Thomas, I've worked with a little bit in, in my lifetime. And I think that between the two of them, what I find really inspiring is their, just their kindness and their empathy towards customers. And it just comes across that they're just naturally that just embedded in who, who they are, but their passion to win, right? So those two things don't have to be decoupled. And I think they uh, oftentimes people think that that's been inspiring to me to see that you can win while being empathetic. And from an industry point of view, I've had the pleasure of going to college with Tim Spence, the now uh, in, the CEO of, of Fifth Third, yeah, and and seen his meteoric rise at Fifth Third Bank. And he's been someone that's been that I've watched from afar and has really been someone who's inspiring. He's he's young. He, he thinks about not only the community of Cincinnati a lot, but he's also 
a huge adopt of technology and willing to make changes that help drive better borrower experience. And I think that's been pretty cool to see. I love it. I love the your example on you don't have to decouple empathy and and a real determination to win. In customer experience, I always try and preach you should really be thinking about you should be designing the great experiences that drive great business outcomes. Right? Like you you don't have to just completely wow the customer at the expense of the business. That doesn't make any sense. So a lot of people think that they might need to. Ram I'm curious, where do you go for inspiration? Like what fills your cup up? I get a lot of energy from just talking to people. What, you know, this conversation, the conversations we've had in preparation here, talking to my team, talking to customers, talking to just friends. As my wife will say, like, I, I'm, uh, I love talking to people on the phone, which is maybe a, a 20, 2005 activity. But, uh, but I get a lot of inspiration from talking to friends who are doing interesting things in technology and doing interesting things in general, whether it be art, music, et cetera, film. And I think there's a lot to learn just from, the, from osmosis. That's, that's like an easy, in, in the real world. I think in the digital world, I'm a huge fan of you know, LinkedIn and Twitter for as an aggregator of all knowledge. And, I, and there's a lot of great dialogue that happens on those medium. And then yeah, at a more local level, I, I, I choose to use certain blogs or whatever. And I, I read a lot of these, uh, these news articles. But I think, I think there's nothing more you can learn by actually just talking to people who are interested in, in the same things that you are. And because they might be on the same medium as me, but they pick up something differently than I do from that same article. And I think that's what's, that's what's exciting. Yeah. Look, being the customer and employee experience base for over 20 years and getting talked to leaders like you and others who are just doing the same work on some level, but like just doing it differently or tackling problems in different ways. like. It's been a great learning and growth hack for me. I can't like if, if, if I can call it one thing about doing a podcast, that's been sort of the, the, the most incredible thing. Ram, this is one great to see you. This has been a great conversation. I truly appreciate you coming on the show and dropping some knowledge on us and talking about sort of the, what Blend is doing in the, in the tech space for lenders and making experiences better every day. Thanks so much for your time today. Yeah, thank you for having me. And I'm so happy to be able to do this. And so I appreciate the opportunity. Absolutely. All right, everybody. Another great show. We're out. Talk to you soon, everyone. Thanks for listening to Be Customer Led with Bill Stakos. We are grateful to our audience for the gift of their time. Be sure to visit us at BeCustomerLed.com for more episodes. Leave us feedback on how we're doing or tell us what you want to hear more about. Until next time, we're out. We're out.